welcome. Pull up a seat, grab a cup, and get ready to share, listen, and learn. This is my favorite coffee story with your host, Aniko Samoji. You'll hear about the stories about coffee itself, the history, health benefits, recipes, and more, along with some personal stories inspired by coffee and the lifestyle. Now, here is Aniko Somoji. Welcome to my favorite coffee story. We are so, so delighted you've joined us today. We have an amazing show. We're talking about global health initiatives and coffee stories. And before we introduce our incredible guest today, we always have our Anikona Farm moment. So I just wanted to share at the farm, we had a beautiful day, a beautiful morning. The the light was coming through the coffee trees and the air from the volcano was actually quite fine in Halualoa where we are. So We're just excited about our next harvest that's coming up in September and the green coffee beans are growing and the coffee trees are loving the volcanic ash in the air from the volcano on the other side of the island. So I think it's going to be a great harvest, but I just wanted to share that that light this morning on the farm was just so beautiful and just wanted to share some of those moments so that you could feel here, you feel that you're here on the farm with us at Anikona Farm. So let's talk about global health initiatives and coffee stories. We have Dr. Benjamin Anderson joining us today from Seattle. He's a professor of surgery and professor of global health medicine. He's He's an incredible recognized leader in global cancer control, and he's Dr. Anderson's clinical practice is devoted to the care of patients with breast health issues and breast cancer. He's the director of Breast Health Clinic at the University of Washington and the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. He's published over 250 articles. He's lectured in over 30 countries. We are so honored and so delighted to welcome Dr. Benjamin Anderson today to My Favorite Coffee Story. Welcome. Well, thank you very much, Aniko. I really couldn't be more pleased than to be with you this afternoon. Thank you very much for having me. It's it's truly such a pleasure for us. And Dr. Ben, you have such an amazing background as a medical doctor. And we always love sharing with our listeners around the world some of your your early days, a little bit of your growing up days, family times in Berkeley, California. Please share with us, Dr. Ben. Well, I uh, grew up in Berkeley in the uh, 60s and 70s, and which was really uh, um, an interesting time. Uh, a lot was changing, a lot was happening, and uh, I was growing up and watching it. And I, I really liked the Bay Area. I thought it was a a fantastic place to be, and I think I learned a lot about um, uh, both about life in the Bay Area and, and about uh, how things can be around the world because it was a very international environment. Uh, and so I, I'm, um, I, I am, I am. You should say that as of now, I've been in Washington longer than uh, I was in in California, uh, but certainly my my roots in Northern California are, will be with, with me through the rest of my days. Absolutely. Well, Berkeley, California is just a very special place. And as you say, it has so much diversity and variety. 
How did you decide, Dr. Ben, to then attend uh, Pomona for college in California? Mm. Well, uh, Pomona College is in Southern California, and I have to say that I've, I've, uh, I feel like I've, through my career, I've been to a bunch of institutions that uh, it's a good thing that I'm not applying anymore because I don't think they would have taken me. And Pomona <laughs> was one of those. They, you know, it's now so t- tremendously competitive. And I suppose it was competitive at the time, but gosh, you'd, you'd actually have to explain to people where Pomona College was. So you'd say, well, I go to Pomona College, and which is a liberal arts college in Southern California. You have to explain that part where they think you're from Cal Poly Pomona or, or somewhere uh, else. And uh, I just, I, it was a wonderful place. I, I had great friends. Uh, that's when I first made friends from people from Hawaii uh, and from Colorado, uh, both of which have been uh, very important to me uh, later in life. And uh, I, I liked the, I liked that small, uh, the small college feeling and with uh, great teachers and learning and just focusing on how can I grow and, and get, and get better. And uh, that Pomona was just was really awesome for that. Uh, it it really inspired uh, growth and diversity. Um, that that really affected me a lot uh, throughout my life. Pomona College is just a terrific place, and it sounds like you you definitely made the most of it. And later on, you went to on to Albert Einstein College of Medicine, where you received your medical degree with distinction and research. Please share with us, Dr. Ben, a little bit about some of your favorite classes and maybe a favorite mentor. Hmm. Well, uh, that's an interesting question because medical school, I would, fun is not the first thing that you think of uh, <laughs> when you go there. Actually, I had I picked Einstein, uh, in which is in the Bronx, uh, New York, I had lived in California all my life up to that point, and I decided that I should try something different. And I recall waking up my first day uh, in the Bronx and recognizing I had succeeded in finding something that was really <laughs> different. And uh, it was a it was a bit of a of a wake up. I I'd, I'd always liked science, and the the science there was was fantastic. But they also had a lot of humanity focus, which I appreciated very much. That they they focused on older students and people who had had life experience, and I thought that was really great. And then also as a place where uh, I was, I think I was really introduced to coffee. Uh, coffee was a, a, a regular morning experience. Uh, when we had our, our classes, you spend the first year and a half in the classroom, and uh, you'd, you'd go and you'd stand in the line, and this is very New York. That so they he said like like a cup of coffee, and then they'd say, well, how do you want it? And the answer was regular. And it turns out that the word regular, what that means is a little milk and a little sugar. Uh, so it, I I actually like my coffee black, but I always ordered it regular because I just like that being part of that that culture of uh, of New York. And you know New Yorkers just love their coffee, and that I think has been true for a very long time. Uh, the diners, I I thoroughly enjoyed the breakfast diners. There was one across the street from uh, the building that I that I lived in, and um, the owner's name was Nick, 
and Nick uh, ran this diner, and it was his family diner, and it, he'd owned it uh, forever. And I and you know the, the, they they always had your morning cup of coffee, and if you were nice, they they refill refill your cup. I do remember one morning I I didn't finish my cup of coffee. And before running off to class, and Nick brought it up to me the next time. He said, you didn't finish your <laughs> cup of coffee. So I have to say, after that, I always finished my cup of coffee with, with uh, old Nick. And, and uh, uh, actually, with Nick, I would have it black. It was across the street in school that, I, that I'd have it as, as regular. But, you know, there were many mentors uh, there at Einstein. There were some really fantastic teachers uh, I had some uh, wonderful teachers in uh, pediatrics, and uh, I think some of my some of my greatest memories were there. And actually, I, I also uh, learned martial arts there. I did a, a black belt. Uh, I spent four years the uh, teacher, and was a, a guy named Ron DePino. And Ron uh, had gone to Fordham University, and uh, he was an MD, PhD, and uh, really liked his science, but boy, he was so awesome at martial arts. And, and um, uh, so I spent four years with Ron and did that, and Ron actually ended up going to MD Anderson Cancer Center, where he was the uh, president until quite, quite recently. Very, very special, accomplished fellow. But, you know, the flavor of New York and its coffee is just, it's really hard to do. To describe, it's just uh, it's special, and I think coffee is is really the uh, the fluid that goes through the veins of New Yorkers. Well, you're so wonderful to share that, and coffee is such a connector. And I know New York has a special coffee culture. And thank you for sharing also about your martial arts experience and and a little bit about mentors. It sounds like. Albert Einstein College of Medicine was a great experience for you. And also, like you said, just a whole new environment for you from California. What was it, Ben, that really inspired you to pursue medicine? Hmm. Uh, well, uh, I, I always thought that, that helping people uh, was important. It was something I wanted to do. I thought that I liked science. Uh, although I liked math more than I liked um, uh, biology, mostly because there was so much in biology you had to remember, and memory wasn't my greatest skill. Uh, I liked understanding systems, and uh, that, that was one of the things that drew me into surgery, because surgery is very system-oriented. It's yes. your, your fed information, a patient comes into the emergency room, there's something really wrong, and you have to piece together in a fairly rapid sequence, what do I have going on and what do I need to do now? Because that can be the difference between the patient making it and not making it. And, and um, I had a wonderful mentor uh, that uh, he actually was not at Einstein, but was very important in my going into surgery. And he was a fellow named Bernie Siegel. Bernie Siegel had written a book. He was actually writing it when I met him. He was a, a surgeon at Yale New Haven. Uh, and uh, he uh, had gotten interested in sort of the mind-body experience and wrote this book called Love, Medicine, and Miracles. What Bernie really was focused on, it seemed like some people did better with cancer than others, and he thought it had to do in some parts related to their their uh, attitude and beliefs and spirituality. And he had such a positive spin 
at the same time that he was a surgeon, which is very technical and, you know, and, and, uh, uh, that I, I thought, you know what, I could do that. I like that. And so I would say Bernie Siegel was probably the most important mentor that I had uh, during medical school, certainly in terms of contributing to where I ended up going, which was toward surgery and toward cancer. That's so inspiring. And I know you went on to do your fellowship at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, and you completed your degree in surgical oncology in 1994. It sounds like Dr. Bernie had a a big impact on you, and as you then continued along your way in cancer research and cancer surgery, what would you say is your favorite part, Dr. Ben, of being a medical doctor? Mm. Well, you know, one of my, so I did my residency in Colorado and Alden Harkin was my mentor. He was the chairman of our department. And one of the things that Dr. Harkin liked to say was that if you're not happy in medicine, it's your own fault because there's so many different things that you can go do. And uh, it, it, so I think what I like the most about being a physician is that it opens doors to being able to get involved in neat uh, projects where you're you're collaborating with others to to really make a difference, and and so uh, I think what I like about what I do is that I get to work in different areas. So there's the patient care where I see women today with best health issues, best cancers. I do their surgeries. I help them through those initial phases, working with my absolutely outstanding colleagues at the University of Washington and Seattle Cancer Care Alliance uh, to um, help find the best solutions to their cancers. And, you know, there's really nothing that's more rewarding than when a patient says, thank you, you helped me that there's there's something deeply meaningful about that. But I I also really like working on on health projects and global health and how do we solve problems because there the science is it, there's the there's the the incredible puzzle of science. How does this biology work and how are the genes interfacing yes. with the other parts of the cells to make things happen? That part is really exciting. But then how do you make healthcare systems work? Actually, that's a whole other level of puzzle doing. And now you work with people that are, we're all pointed in the same direction of trying to make something better. And being able to do both of those, both the patient care and this research and health systems part, it's hard to imagine a career that would be more rewarding than that. It's very rewarding. And Dr. Ben, you have had such a positive impact on so many people. And we are really grateful to you for for helping so many people. I, I guess before we go to break, Dr. Ben, we would love to ask you how you've been involved in cancer care almost for 20 years during your practice. What would you say in just a couple minutes, please, what are some of the major changes in global cancer care that you've seen? I think that the biggest change that I've seen in global cancer care has occurred uh, since uh, 2000. And what is changing and continues to change, if you ask 
people, certainly in this country, that, you know, what can you do about cancer in low and middle income countries? You know, what about Latin America? What about sub-Saharan Africa? Is, is this even something we can address? I think that the dominant thinking was we can't really get there from here. That we, you, you just can't really make a difference. The problem's too big. The competing demands are too great. It's just not possible to get there. And what has really changed, and it's, it's been a, the, a variety of, of uh, groups that have worked on it. The, our group, the Breast Health Global Initiative, is one of them. Uh, so is the World Health Organization. So is the Union for International Cancer Control, UICC. The, the, the dominant thinking now is we can make a difference. It's that we have to work out systems that are functional, that make yes. it possible, because not everything we do is expensive. And so there's this can-do attitude in global health that now encompasses cancer in a way that it never did before. And I think we're going to continue to see improvements in this arena. That is so exciting. And you've had such a major impact on that as well with your positive can-do attitude, Dr. Ben. And, and we've so enjoyed hearing about your early days and times in Berkeley, California, as well as the inspiring mentors that you've had along the way and how you decided to pursue medicine. We're going to take a quick break, listeners, and we will come right back and talk to Dr. Ben Anderson a little bit more about the team at the University of Washington and how they do such an amazing job of helping people with breast health issues right after the break. So please join us. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. My favorite coffee story is brought to you by Anikona Farm, where every bean we grow represents a great story somewhere in the world. When you buy coffee from Anikona Farm, you're investing in new memories, stories, and experiences. We harvest our beans with your future story in our heart. So, from our heart to yours, enjoy the Anikona experience. May your coffee story be as rich and delicious as our Kona coffee with love. Please visit Anikona.com and get your Anikona Story coffee special today. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for you with Arvind Vora, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. You are listening to my favorite coffee story with Aniko Samoji. Drop us a line and share your story. Our email address is orders at anikona.com. Again, that's orders at anikona.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to my favorite coffee story. We're talking about global health initiatives and coffee stories with our very special guest, Dr. Benjamin Anderson. He's a professor of surgery and professor of global health medicine. He's also a recognized leader in global cancer control. His clinical practice is devoted to the care of patients with breast health issues and breast cancer. And we've been having such a nice time with Dr. Ben. We've been talking about early days and some of somehow he involved, got himself involved in medicine to begin with. And we were just going to ask Dr. Ben a little bit more about the team at the University of Washington School of Medicine. Dr. Ben, ben she, please share with us. I know you have a very special team that does all those incredible surgeries. Please share. Well, uh, so I started at the University of Washington in 1994, and uh, Carlos Pellegrini was my uh, chair and who uh, hired me and and has been an incredible support uh, throughout this career development. Uh, And what we do is, so there there are these complementary aspects to what we do. On the one hand, we provide cancer treatment, cancer care, and that's at, that takes place at the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, the SCCA, which is jointly started by the University of Washington, Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center, where I also have an appointment in Children's Hospital. And so that's where we see the patients in an outpatient environment, and then I operate on folks at the University of Washington, which is that's where our inpatient area is in our operating room. And what I would say is that it's the most awesome collaborative environment. I learn so much from my colleagues about the cutting edge care in their arena. It really, everybody's a superstar. And, and so being able to practice on a day-to-day basis and, so, and solve problems, sometimes the problems get kind of complicated about what surgery am I going to do and how am I going to time it in comparison to chemotherapy and where does radiation sit and how can we do the reconstructions? Well, all of which needs to be done in the context of, and how is the patient doing? How is she doing? How is she coping? How is her family support working? That is she, is she receiving the the things that she needs to move forward? That, that has been a part of the program at the university of Washington since the day I arrived. Uh, There were two doctors um, Dr. Roger Moe had been my surgical mentor uh, since uh, the time that I began, and Dr. Bob Livingston, who was the uh, head of breast medical oncology at the program. And the two of them, they had started a multidisciplinary clinic, meaning that you actually saw patients together at the same time. They started that back in the 1980s. 
nowadays everybody talks about multidisciplinary and well of course you have a multidisciplinary team don't you they <laughs> they did it before anyone used the term and before it was recognized because dr dr mo recognized it's all about the biology it's about the cancer it's not about the specialty or the names that we put on ourselves and so um, we have this, uh, this incredible opportunity to collaborate and to work together on, on problem solving. It's, it's kind of like playing chess with a bunch of chess masters. You, you, I learn something new every day. Uh, we started the Breast Health Clinic in 1996. And that is, it's, it is a surgically based clinic, but it's for women with breast health uh, findings, meaning a lump that they feel or a thickening or a nipple discharge or localized pain, something that needs to be sorted out. That's We do this and we have a, a team that not, is limit, not just limited to surgeons, but also includes nurse practitioners and an internist and a PA and these unbelievably awesome nurses. This nursing team is just, uh, um, they're amazing. And so um, it's a pleasure to go to work every day. Uh, actually, I've been the director of the Breast Health Clinic uh, for 21 years, and I, I actually just passed that responsibility on to uh, one of my partners, Dr. Sarah Javitt, and I'm looking forward to seeing where she takes the program uh, from there. But it's, it's been very exciting to build a program that's all based on how do we continue to do better and better. Because in medicine, it's always changing. We're always learning. In surgery, um, something that has evolved over the period of time that I've been in practice is what's called oncoplastic surgery. Oncoplastic surgery means how do you do the cancer surgery well and preserving the cosmetic outcome, preserving the shape and appearance of the breast, or in some circumstances, improving it when uh, when women are, are needing some type of of uh, uh, cosmetic improvement or say her breasts are terribly large and she has back pain. These are all things that we can work out together. And, and by, by bringing together different skills and, and learning from each other. So it's, it's just been a phenomenal uh, opportunity and ride uh, for me. Um, but it's really about the colleagues. It's about the teams that, that make this all awesome. That's such an incredible team, and I know they appreciate you being there, too. How innovative you are, all that you, it's interdisciplinary, and you kind of thought of this, you know, way back, and how you all team up, and you kind of look at what would be the best solution for the patient, and how you can really help each other in figuring out that process. As your work as a professor of surgery, it seems like you also have the opportunity to mentor the up-and-coming medical doctors and impart all that collaborative effort that the University of Washington Medical School has. Tell us a little bit about how you do that, Dr. Ben, as being a professor of surgery. So uh, the University of Washington is the only medical school for five states. So it's uh, Washington, Alaska, Wyoming, uh, Idaho and Montana. And because of that, being the only only uh, medical school for that region, it actually provides a, a, a very large capture area for patients and for uh, residents and students. Our, uh, our residents and students are some of the brightest 
people I have ever met. At, at the, I, I often say that I'm glad I'm on the faculty at the University of Washington because I don't <laughs> think I would have gotten in uh, as a resident. And But I love working with residents and um, because they're so bright and thoughtful and eager to learn. They're, they have voracious appetite for knowledge. And because of that, when you're working with them, so I have residents and students that work side by side with me in areas that I do. We dialogue constantly because most of it is about that, you know, how do you think this through? How do we learn about it? And they ask such thoughtful, insightful questions that yes. it actually keeps, keeps my brain going, keeps me thinking about why is it that we're doing that other than because we always did it that way. Right. And, and so it's a, it's a, it, it's a consistently stimulating uh, environment uh, where we're doing the best care that we can give and at the same time uh, working with our residents so that they can learn how that works, how it looks, how that, that fits together well. And that, it's, just, it's a great privilege to be in this environment. And I, I think that you might have some fun University of Washington, maybe coffee stories, if you would kindly share, please. Well, you know, everyone knows that in, in uh, you can't really say the name of Seattle and not think of coffee at some point, you know, with uh, Starbucks and Howard Schultz having started here. But you know, they got started right around the same time that, at least in my consciousness, about the same time that I was applying for jobs. And so I recall that I, I said earlier that I was, you know, in, when I lived in New York as a resident, I just that morning cup of coffee was just a part of it and having it regular. And, you know, that, and part of the reason you always had a little milk and a little sugar was because it probably wasn't really that good. So you had to do something to kind of spruce it up. I, uh, I came out in uh, January of 1994, and my now surgical partner, Dr. David Bird, was, was interviewing me. And he was taking me around, and he said, so, have you ever had a mocha? And I said, no, what's a mocha? And so he took me, the, you know, the hospital has these stands where they, that the, the service league makes uh, great lattes and mochas and all that, and I had never had a mocha before. And so he buys me a mocha. Well, I'm pretty sure I had at least three mochas that day because I thought <laughs> this is so incredible. Um, I'm sure my hands were shaking by the by the end of that because that that was a pretty heavy duty coffee load, caffeine load. But boy, I sure sure thought that was awfully good. And I remember taking off um, out of SeaTac, our airport, and I was flying back to JFK in New York, and I was thinking. You know, this latte thing, the New Yorkers are going to love this. I, I didn't, if it was in New York, I had not seen it. I certainly no one talked about it. And I remember landing at JFK, getting off, and seeing this Starbucks in the JFK airport. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is the invasion of coffee to New York City. And needless to say, everybody knows that you can't go more than a block and a half now in Manhattan and not, not come across a Starbucks or, or a competitor for, for that. So I did, I, and coffee is just, it, it's, I learned it here in, in Seattle, the good stuff, learned the good stuff here. And 
you know, that's, that's gone on, um, I, I have to say, because I have enjoyed uh, Anikoa, Anikoa Farm uh, coffee, and that Kona coffee, it's, it's the top rung. It is really oh. the top rung. I don't know if it's the lava or the water or whatever it is, but, oh, gosh, that, it is the best stuff out there. And I, I have an entire adult life of experience with this, and so I don't say that lightly. Well, you're you're very kind. I'm glad that it's brought you some enjoyment, Dr. Ben. And, you know, you've traveled all over the world. And, you know, as being director of the Breast Health Global Initiative, travels have taken you to over 30 countries, I believe. I can imagine you have some interesting coffee stories in some of the different countries if you'd like to share with us today. Well, yeah, the... the um we started doing this work on on uh, global health, and actually, the the uh, beginning was really started on a train uh, from in Ukraine from Kiev to Lviv, and so I was uh, I, I was part of a project in the late '90s to try to help address. Uh, breast cancer in Ukraine, a, a local Seattle group uh, NGO called PATH uh, had uh, received a grant to start these, and I was one of the consultants. And it, it became very clear when we were there, we had some real fundamental misconceptions about what it is that makes breast cancer work or not work. And it was in, and in particular, you know, cancer, you have to have guidelines. You have to follow algorithms. You have to follow pathways because we we study certain combinations of surgery, radiation, and drug therapy, and then yes. we see outcomes in terms of improvement. And it became clear to me that the American guidelines that we had developed fundamentally did not work in Ukraine because they assumed you had all of the tools. And so I was riding on the train. Uh, it was an overnight train from Kiev to Lviv. Uh, and uh, it, it makes me think sort of romantically of the Orient Express. Yes. Uh, I'm sure I had a cup of coffee in the morning. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But it, it was after coming back from that and talking with my wife, Tanya, about the experience, that was the seed that began the Breast Health uh, Global Initiative. And uh, that's led to some... some um, pretty interesting experiences in different countries and different regions, uh, all of which seem to share coffee. Coffee, um, I know it's not every country, but boy, it sure seems to be a lot of them that, that really focus on on uh, Java as being a, a way to get yourself going in the morning and have fun in the evening. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that fun Ukraine story, Dr. Ben. And we are so grateful to you that you are part of this initiative to reduce disparities in breast cancer outcomes for 2.5 million women in in the next decade. Please share with us, uh, before we go to break, how that initiative is going. So our group, the Breast Health Global Initiative, created something called Resource Stratified Guidelines. And the idea is that instead of that scientific exercise of imagine you had everything available and how do you put it together in the best way to get the best cures and the best outcomes, the, we turned it around with these resource stratification to say, 
but where do you begin? What are the essential elements that make this work? And we created this tortured system that in the entire, across the spectrum of early detection, diagnosis, treatment, and palliative care, how do we prioritize where those resources go? And because that, if you're going to build a system from the ground up, you need to know what the foundation is before you start focusing on the first story, second story, or the root. Yes. And, and that, that uh, whole arena of developing guidelines, that's what the BHGI did. BCI 2.5, Breast Cancer Initiative 2.5, what this is focused on is a broader collaboration where we are asking, and how do you implement how do you implement these resource stratified frameworks? How do you implement them in ways that are real? And I, uh, it's, it's part of the reason that I am so optimistic about where we're going in cancer care globally, because I think that there are these fundamental concepts that are yes, we can type attitudes. There are ways in which we can make improvements and build systems we can't just we do not need to stop and just say oh well we can't get there from here and this is such an exciting initiative and we wish you well with that dr ben and and you know all your hard work so many people have been really appreciative how you've made such a big difference in their lives. And for our listeners, just so they know, um, in addition to all the travels you've done and all the lectures you've given on uh, breast health issues and breast cancer, and you've published over 250 articles, for our listeners, there have been a lot of awards that Dr. Benjamin Anderson has received. And and I know that you're you're very humble about these, et cetera, but you've had several from Patients' Choice Award, Compassionate Doctor Recognition, even On-Time Doctor Award, Castle Connolly, America's Top Doctors for Cancer in 2018, the National Consortium of Breast Center's Inspiration Award, Partners in Progress Award by American Society of Clinical Oncology. The list goes on, and we just are so thankful to you for all that you do. When we take a quick break, we're going to talk to Dr. Ben about some of the recent news that's been going on about the possible health benefits of coffee. And also, we might even ask Dr. Ben about how he serves on the World Health Organization for cancer-related issues and how are some of the projects going there. So please join us right after the break. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. My favorite coffee story is brought to you by Anikona Farm, where every bean we grow represents a great story somewhere in the world. When you buy coffee from Anikona Farm, you're investing in new memories, stories, and experiences. We harvest our beans with your future story in our heart. So, from our heart to yours, enjoy the Anikona experience. May your coffee story be as rich and delicious as our Kona coffee with love. Please visit Anikona.com and get your Anikona Story coffee special today. 
Voice America Network proudly presents the Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to the Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to My Favorite Coffee Story with Aniko Samoji. Drop us a line and share your story. Our email address is orders at anikona.com. Again, that's orders at anikona.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to my favorite coffee story as we've been talking about global health initiatives and coffee stories with our wonderful guest, Dr. Benjamin Anderson from Seattle, who's a recognized leader in global cancer control. And he's a professor of surgery and professor of global health medicine at the University of Washington Medical School. And we were just talking about some of the global health initiatives around cancer care and how Dr. Ben has traveled to over 30 countries sharing information about cancer research and cancer care. And we were going to ask you, Dr. Ben, a little bit about how you serve on the World Health Organization for cancer-related issues. Please share about some of the projects you're working on there. So uh, WHO is based in Geneva and is the, the hub of healthcare under the United Nations. The WHO is not a group that the high-income countries like the U.S. spend a lot of time thinking about because we actually don't derive uh, things directly from WHO. We often are feeding things to WHO. But WHO is incredibly important for uh, uh, low- and middle-income countries. WHO is where they take their lead in terms of of uh, providing direction for their country. Although it's an interesting, the idea that WHO tells countries what to do actually is is a misconception. The member states, it's the countries that ask WHO for advice, for direction, but but it is is the the, the countries that are are driving this. Uh, I first became aware of WHO's role in cancer when we first started the Best Health Global Initiative in 2002, and uh, I read their materials about different resource levels and uh, tried to sort of how could we adapt this to our development of these resource stratified guidelines. Uh, as as time went by, uh, I became closer and closer to WHO. Uh, that uh, as a as a visitor, as a collaborating scientist, and then for the past six years, I've been serving on the board of directors of the UICC, Union for International Cancer Control, which is also based in Geneva. It is the oldest cancer advocacy organization in the world, founded in 1933, and and UICC. Uh, it plays a major role in helping WHO remain informed about cancer. Uh, one of the things that's changed at WHO, WHO used to have a very small cancer team, literally meaning two people. And because infectious disease was where they had done most of their focus, and this changed. 
And as particularly in 2011, when the United Nations instructed WHO to say, we need you to now think about non-communicable diseases, the non-infectious diseases. And that means heart disease, lung disease, diabetes, and cancer. And so cancer has really sprouted up in, uh, it, at, uh, in the focus of WHO, especially since 2011. And so I've had the opportunity to serve as an advisor in, in some of these roles. Um, I, the, uh, one of our trainees from the uh, University of Washington, uh, he trained with us as a general surgeon, then went to MD Anderson for Surgical Oncology Fellowship. Uh, his name is Dr. Andre Obawi. Dr. Abawi is now at WHO and is one of the uh, leads for uh, cancer care at, at the organization. So it's, uh, it's, it makes me incredibly proud to be able to interface and see someone that, uh, who I've known since the first day he interviewed at the University, University of Washington uh, and see how this carries forward. So, uh, you know, we were talking about where to go from here. Um, yes. To me, the what I'm focused on now is how do I help train and support the people that are going to replace me, that are going to take what we did up to now and carry it forward in this in this new world. And Andrea Bowie uh, is is one of those uh, people. Uh, another uh, person that I've helped. Uh, uh, support and mentor uh, is Dr. Ophira Ginsberg, who spent a year at WHO and is now at NYU. And um, this is just the beginning of a cadre of young people that are sorting out how do we do better cancer care around the world. And it's really not about going and fixing everybody's problem. That it's not a paternalistic approach. That that will not work. It, what it's really about is building capacity. How can yes. we get people in country able to do better with the resources they've got to improve these outcomes? And 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 that's really where the excitement is. It's it's how do we make these systems work? So what we're really creating are not we're, what we're creating are tools that people can use in country and in these different environments. And so yes. it's just a fascinating set of questions and problems that I enjoy thinking about. Yes, and definitely so fantastic that you're involved in actually mentoring the next generation and helping them carry forward all the good work that you've done and your team has done. You know, a lot of people ask me, as well as our listeners, are really curious about, okay, if we talk about cancer in general, there's been a lot of press lately about the possible health benefits of coffee and and how it's an antioxidant possibly and how it might help sort of with immune or systems or maybe even inflammation. I'm curious, how what's your take on that, Dr. Ben, about the possible health benefits of coffee? Well, um, you're quite right that there are a there has been a series of publications, uh, particularly over the past ten years, that have noted an association between coffee consumption and health. And uh, for example, uh, last year in the Annals of Internal Medicine, 
a publication by uh, Gunther and a very long list of, of uh, co-authors, what they were studying was uh, cancer drinking and causes of death in 10 European countries. And so it was a very large study, over 500,000 people enrolled in the study, and then they looked at the associations between coffee drinking by amount and uh, associated uh, health uh, issues, particularly related to, uh, to death. And so what they, what they found was that in both men and women, the higher coffee consumption was associated with better overall mortality, that the people seemed to be living longer. And yes. when they broke it down by different sorts of diseases, including digestive diseases and, and others, uh, heart disease, there was something about the coffee that seemed to be doing better in the, in the great majority of pieces that they looked at. So now, but here's the, here's the hit. If you really want to show that something works, the best way to study it without bias, without selection bias of one sort or another is to yes. do a randomized trial. A randomized trial would mean you take a group of people and then you would have them agree, we're going to flip a coin and either you are a coffee drinker or not a coffee drinker. And then we follow them for a prolonged period of time. And the truth is, I don't know anybody who would volunteer for that study because <laughs> those of us that like our coffee pretty much like our coffee. Yes. So what you don't know when you see these studies is, is it that they drank coffee and that's what made things better? Or is it the fact that they were able to drink coffee? Were they overall, maybe people that drink coffee are more healthy and do other things. And it's not really the coffee drinking that's causing it. Maybe oh, it's I just see. an association. And at the end of the day, because I really like my cup of coffee in the morning, I'm not sure that I care that much about the answer to this. But I've not <laughs> seen any significant studies that have said coffee drinking is bad for you. And for me, that's good enough. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing information on that. And our listeners are very grateful to you about the insights. So I really appreciate that. And as you start your morning and you do have your cup of coffee, you have a lot of fun hobbies, Dr. Ben. And if we could just share with our listeners, I know you're into bicycling and fitness and music and photography. You take amazing photographs. We've loved your photographs throughout the years, Dr. Ben. And and travel as well and, and wonderful family times and nice times with your wonderful wife, Tina. And now I know you're a, a grandfather as well. Please share with us some of your up coming travels or some of your upcoming future projects? Well, um, it, you know, family tops the list. They're, at the end of the day, without family, I'm not sure that much, much else means much. And, yes. and although that's sure easy to forget when you're so involved in work and, and if, if there's anything that I've done not enough of, it's not not spent all the time that I want with my my wife and my two fantastic sons, Michael and Christopher. Uh, they are both now parents, and I, it makes me so proud to see my sons and their wives being phenomenal parents. Yes, and it it makes me feel like we got something right. 
that um, despite all of the mistakes, which that, that's a long list, at least on my part, um, just to see how incredibly they do. And you're right, I like taking pictures. Um, one of the, you know, doing the global medicine work and going to these different uh, places, some of which are a little on the obscure side and not necessarily the first place you go. I love having my camera with me and being able to record uh, what it is that I that I that I get to see uh, in these different places, and then try to to organize them and to try to show somebody else. I would say that my favorite photos um, are of uh, that my sons now send me of their kids and what they're doing, and that's just it's so amazing to see the cycle starting starting all anew. Um, I've thought about what I'm going to do when I retire, and I, gosh, I, I travel an awful lot. I know everybody says, well, when they when uh, they retire, they want to travel. I think when I retire, I probably want to sit down. And I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to try that and see how that that goes. But um, next year, and uh, my wife Tina and I, it, it's going to be a really special year because it will be my 60th birthday. Um, her Oh, I, I think it's okay if I say it on the 50th birthday and then our 15th anniversary together. And so we are going to do a cruise in uh, the Mediterranean and we're going to get some really awesome pictures and we're going to have a wonderful time together. There have been some health issues in the family and they're getting better. And we just are really happy about that because the truth is, the end of the day, if you don't really have your health, that's not a, not a, much else matters a whole lot. And so we're just we're at a very uh, a very good time. I think that I think it's just going to keep getting better and better. Absolutely, we're so excited about your Mediterranean trip, Dr. Ben. And as we close here, and we're excited about all your upcoming travels and projects. In a few, just a minute, if you would just kindly share with our listeners, as you reflect back on your life, some of the life lessons that you'd like to share with our listeners. Hmm. Well, you were very kind earlier. You you were talking about. I'm, I've I've received some awards from different organizations, and it's it's deeply meaningful to me that that colleagues would would pick me for that. And that, that really is meaningful. That being said, the image that I have of my career is that I'm imagining I can see a, a woman sitting in a distance and I can't see her face. It's, a, it's an image that I have and nor is she looking at me but she's in a distant land, and what I, my belief is that the work that the Breast Health Global Initiative has done, that I and my collaborators have created, it's going to make something better in her life where she lives. She will never have heard of me. I will never know who she is. And yet, that's what I believe is where true meaning, life meaning comes from. And so it's actually not the things you're acknowledged for. It's the things that happened, whether or not acknowledgement took place. That, I think, is where, where all of this lands. And at the end of the day, if we can all feel like we have contributed something 
to the moving forward in this 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 uh, vessel we call humanity, then I feel that that's what life is is about. And without family, none of that would be possible. At the end of it, it is really the family that is at the core. And that is so true and so beautifully stated. And we're so grateful to you, Dr. Ben Anderson, for joining us today, sharing your inspiring stories. And thank you for all that you do around the world for people's health. Thank you for sharing global health initiatives and coffee stories. And listeners, thanks for joining us. You can always find our 15% gift on anikona.com. And we just wish you a wonderful aloha in the meantime. Thank you again for being with us today on My Favorite Coffee Story. Thank you for taking an hour out of your busy week to join us on My Favorite Coffee Story. Please tune in again for another edition with your host, Aniko Samoji, next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, we hope you'll have a relaxing week.